Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Catherine Lynn is the author of You Can't Stay Here Forever, a novel. Catherine is an attorney and writer based in the San Francisco Bay Area and a graduate of Northwestern University and Stanford Law School. You Can't Stay Here Forever is her debut novel. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss You Can't Stay Here Forever, a novel. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yay. Okay. Can you start by telling listeners what your book is about? Sure. So 28-year-old Ellie Huang gets basically the worst news that you can imagine, which is she finds out that her husband is killed in a car crash and then that he was cheating on her with one of her colleagues at her San Francisco law firm. So in the midst of all this tragedy, in a rare act of impulse, she uses his life insurance money 
and runs away to the south of France with her best friend, Mabel. And they go to this really famous real-life hotel called Hotel Ducap Eden Rock, um, which many might recognize from the Cannes Film Festival or, you know, like UK Daily Mail, which I absolutely love. And as she's at this hotel trying to run away from her life, they run into this mysterious couple, Fauna and Robbie. And then, you know, no surprise, uh, your demons can follow you to the south of France. And soon a lot of the things that they try to run away from, both Mabel and Ellie, come to the surface in France. And it's a book that I hope, you know, a lot of folks will really enjoy when I was writing it. I was thinking about complicated female friendships and the slippery nature of uh, marriage and monogamy and mother-daughter relationships. I was going to say the mother-daughter relationship piece, I think was particularly striking and her relationship with her mom at once, some, at times fraught. I love that. I love how you described her, that scene where she's at a sleepover watching, I don't know, Dynasty or something on yeah. TV. And it's like, oh, that's totally my mom, that like wasp on TV. And and then her friend is like, no, no, you have to be white to be a wasp. It's a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And she's like, wait, my mom's like a wannabe wasp? <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, it's a thorny really I think every mother and daughter can talk about the thorny relationship that they have. And Ellie's in particular with her mother, Mary, um, there's a resentment that I think a lot of folks might find familiar. I certainly can find that familiar, but also there's so much love yes. and loyalty and it's so exciting to be on this podcast because I actually recently gave birth to my daughter, my firstborn. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And so it's funny because I wrote this book when I had not had a child yet. And I remember writing it and feeling so much sympathy for Ellie. And then it's funny how life humbles you because I'm <laughs> my own daughter and she's only nine months old. But as I'm, you know, rereading this book and talking about it, my sympathy, so much of it has gone to the mom. So it's been interesting also as an author to see how that has played out as this book has, you know, gone through its life cycle. I mean, one of the themes, of course, is just no matter what happens, your the mother-daughter relationship is sort of well, I shouldn't say that because I guess it's not the case for some relationships, but at least in this relationship, no matter what, they are there for each other. And even in simple acts, like when Ellie comes out and the mom has laid out a new dress for the funeral, which is at once heartbreaking and tender. And even just the way she shows her love by taking care of things around her, not necessarily of her herself, right? It's just, and how, you know, at the end, that's who she wants to call. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. just it's so... Uh, yes. I anyway, I loved that part too. And I loved uh, her, um, Ellie's relationship with Mabel, how she met with Mabel being this like, <laughs> you know, like outspoken voice in a crowd. In yes. <laughs> yes. They meet freshman year of college. And I think, you know, I find platonic relationships really fascinating, especially female friendship. For me, my best friends in my life have just have been just as important as my romantic relationships and just as complicated and complex. And, you know, there's all the love and loyalty, but there's also so much jealousy and competition with really, really long-standing friends. Sometimes I think when you meet them, they're kind of frozen in time in your mind for them. And so if you're changing or they're changing, it can be a lot of growing pains for these relationships that you follow throughout a life. And so I think that's really true for Ellie and Mabel. And they're such opposites attract. You know, Ellie is very, um, you know, tell me what to do. I'll do the, I'll follow the path that's laid out for me. And Mabel is 
this writer that's really strident and and brazen with all of her opinions and says all the things that Ellie wishes she could say. And so in so many ways, they complement each other. But as you point out, it's also a complicated relationship and you can be rocky at times. And both of them are dealing with their own demons in this book. You had a line, maybe, wait, let me see if I dog eared it. You had a line about how, it was about how Ellie was like, maybe we're not so much friends as I'm just following her around everywhere. Like I am just her, you know, sort of shadow in all of this. And am I even, is this even a friendship or is this just like a one-sided sort of, you know, puppy dog type relationship? You wrote it better than that. (laughs) Yeah, but no, I know what you're saying. It's Mabel is she's the kind of person you walk in the room and everyone wants to know what she's thinking and what she's going to say. And I think there's something that's so alluring about having a best friend like that, but it can also be really overshadowing. And for Ellie, especially, she's at an inflection point in her life where she's realizing that she's so much of her life is being defined by the things around her. So the way that her job defines her and the way that her husband has defined her. And now she's realizing the way that her best friend has defined her. And so she's really kind of setting out and trying to find her own voice on this journey for her. And it was something that I really felt for her, especially since both of them are in their late 20s, which is, it can be a difficult time. I mean, it's really fun and energetic and I miss it so much sometimes, but it's also, there's a lot of growing pains in your, in your late 20s. It's kind of like a second adolescence, I sometimes I think. So true. And you depend so much on that sort of found family. Yes. When you're striking out on your own and all of that. All of that good stuff. Yeah. With one of, the, I don't want to like give anything away, but with one of the characters who comes up in the book, there's a moment where she talks about how in her own head, she's always happy sort of being second fiddle and she'll always take the back seat, and she's sort of comfortable not being number one, but instead sort of always being the person behind the person, which I also found really interesting for someone to have that level of self-awareness and for you to have a character in the book who then has that level of self-awareness and where something like that even comes from. So I was sort of curious about the psychology of that character. Yeah, I think that, you know, this is a book, I think that the heart of it is the way that we feel about our relationship with other people. And so Mm -hmm. we've talked about Ellie and Mabel, Ellie and mom, but I think that for some people that they always feel like you said, like second fiddle and, you know, kind of the person always behind the scenes, but certainly for someone like Ellie, you know, that's not the case. And in fact, that could be the source of a lot of problems too, feeling like you're the one who's being pushed along and you're going along. And something that, Ellie goes through is kind of, I think, a questioning of that, because I think when you are in that place where you think, oh, I'm just second fiddle, it's also giving up some of your agency and some of your responsibility in that part of that relationship. And so I think for Ellie, it's deciding, okay, I am around people who are very, you know, strident and and really strong personalities, but is this something I'm also drawn to? And what does that say about me? Why is it that I like to fade into the background and be defined in this way? And certainly at this point in her life, is this something I need to work on? And is this something where I need to step into the spotlight as well? So this is also a lovely escapist book. I have actually been to Hotel Ducap a couple times for lunch a couple times. And once apparently when I was a kid to stay for a little bit. (laughs) 
And I've also been to Club Saint on Saint in Saint Tropez, where you have like literally, I was like goosebumps. I was like, this is actually a real experience of a real restaurant. Like this is no longer fiction. This is like somehow real life is like completely in this novel at this point with every, you know, everything about it. So tell me about why Hotel du Cap. I know it's an iconic sort of South of France landmark and a dream. I mean, it would be a huge dream just to like take off and hang out there for a while, <laughs> but why there? Why the South of France? Why Saint-Tropez? Why the whole place? Yeah. Yeah. So this, you know, I think that as a writer, sometimes settings can do real life settings can kind of do heavy lifting. Like it's a little bit almost like cheating because when there's such a storied place in the cultural psyche for a place like this, when you go there in the book, a lot of readers automatically know what that means. And so I knew that Ellie and Mabel were going to run away and I wanted them to run away to a place that was very fish out of water where they would feel really uncomfortable. And Hotel Ducap was just the perfect place for that. Um, Like yourself, I was also lucky enough to go there once for a short visit and I've never been more intimidated in my life. Like I've (laughs) never felt worse about myself than at these places, at that restaurant, at this hotel, even just, you know, having lunch at the hotel, because it's a place where, you know, everyone is beautiful and the wealth and the excessiveness of the opulence is really in your face. It's also just a beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful place in the world. It's just wonderful to look at. And so Ellie and Mabel being people who are not used to this world, I wanted them to go there and to kind of view and have this sort of critical observation of everything around them. So of course, you know, when you run away with your best friend, who doesn't want to stay at one of the nicest resorts in the world? But of course, when you go there, as you know, Ellie and Mabel are Asian American women, they are primed to be observing everything around them and be aware of, you know, the race, the privilege, the power, the wealth, the class, everything that's going on. And so I would say I chose it in many ways because it's so iconic and it does so much heavy lifting, but also I think it speaks to the themes of the work of the, of the, of the book of trying to find yourself, trying to realize how you are defined in relation to others. So true. Well, thank you for taking us there because that was a real joy. <laughs> and it, it's very much of the white lotus, you know, ilk. I know that you wrote this, I'm sure yes. before that even came out and everything, but it has that same sort of vibe where you're in this new place and it's so beautiful and you're with new friends or no, I mean, yeah. show old friends, but some sometimes people, anyway. Yeah, no, it's exactly like that. I wrote, you're right. I wrote this for White Lotus and I remember when me and my agent working on it, all of it was coming out, um, season one and then season two. And we were like, oh my God, this is like, you know, what a coincidence. There's so many similar vibes and themes, but yes, it's the idea of traveling to somewhere great and then realizing, okay, I'm going to have to do a lot of work on myself too. (laughs) I was wondering actually, as I read it, if you had gone through this kind of life-changing loss that Ellie goes through in the beginning, you do take us really deep and quickly into that moment. And it was a great way to, I mean, from a literary standpoint, it's a great way to start the book because the reader is like immediately hooked. And then we we are so invested. We have no choice but to like follow along and see what happens. You know? yes. But when I was reading it, I was wondering, had something like that happened to you? Who Or if not, Mm-hmm. Did you model it on a friend or something you'd seen or or what? Yeah, so this story actually came to me when I was doing this really long commute 
I'm also a lawyer. So I was doing this really long commute and I always knew that I wanted to write something in the wake of tragedy and loss. And so much of even the first paragraph and the first chapter, it was something I knew kind of on this commute, how I wanted to start the story. And during this time, I was actually reading a lot of the Modern Love column in the New York Times, which I'm a huge fan of. And there was no particular column or story that spoke to me. But I remember, um, you know, I was just drawn to so many of these stories about redefining your relationship with yourself after loss. It doesn't have to be death, but any sort of loss and change. And at the same time in my own life, even though I wasn't going through specifically anything as bad as what Ellie is going through in this book, I was also in my late 20s. I was also asking a lot of these similar questions. And in particular, her relationship with her job was something that I really understood. You know, I went to law school right after undergrad and I did a lot of, not exactly the same thing she did, but a lot of those similar career choices. And I remember thinking, so much of my late 20s was, is this something that really made me happy? Or is this something that I felt that I had to do? And I'm not really sure if this is something in, in my own free volition, like I would do myself. And so, you know, I still actually really do love the law. I do enjoy it. I don't think I, I hate it as much as Ellie does. But I will say these this undercurrent of asking yourself these big existential questions was something that I really related to. And I knew the story would be one about loss and tragedy and finding yourself through the kind of the tail end of, of something that's very, very difficult. But not something that you had experienced. No, not something I'm, I'm very lucky that I have not experienced something like that. And when I was reading this book, I really did try to seek out a lot of these, or sorry, when I was writing that, a lot of the stories and accounts of people who have gone through something really similar. Yeah. Amazing. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I am like a junkie for stories of loss. And, you know, I feel like I've read uh, so many books and watched so many movies. And I don't know, I think having gone through loss in different ways myself, like there's something about reading 
closely how someone gets through something you think is unimaginable. I so I appreciated that in your story, and I had I feel like I have a wealth of of comp. You know? Yes, yes, and and what's so hard about this is this book is is really only follows Ellie for like a few weeks after yep. this horrible thing happens, and grief is something that is that you deal with for a lifetime. And so when I was writing this, I was also really cognizant of the fact of, okay, we're following these these weeks afterwards, but also this is something she's going to be have to to deal with with her whole life. I mean, grief doesn't really, you know, just end cleanly and neatly as much as some people may want it to. And so this is also something I feel like because as I write, these people are so real to me. They're like my real friends. And yep. so I always think about Ellie and think, okay, how is she doing? Because, okay, we saw her for a few weeks, but you know, a few years later, how is she doing with something like this? So yep. it is, it is very, I think, difficult to write about tragedy and loss, but it's also something that's so universal and that we all deal with. Totally. Is this going to be a movie? A TV show, something has it been? It would be so exciting. No, we have we have it in options, and um, so this is something I'm hoping would be it'd be so cool. I mean, every writer says that, right? They would love to see something up on the screen, so that would be super exciting if it would be. And you know, I always say like it would be a great excuse, me and my agent joke, like to have to go to the hotel to do some research. You know what I mean? Like what what a great excuse to have to go and and do a little research for that the movie. That would be a fabulous filming experience for sure. Um, I feel like in the movie version or like, you know, in the movie version, I would want to see even more scenes with, well, I don't want to like, you know, with the, with how the, you know, infidelity. Yes. Yes. I want to see more of that. I want to like, now I'm really curious about her husband and what he was thinking and feeling. Cause I know we get a glimpse later. Yes. From a different, you know, but I I don't know. I I like, I was left wanting more from all the other characters yeah yeah it's it's interesting when I write you know some people have asked me who do you relate to and I know this is like not the most satisfying answer but I actually feel like I relate to all my characters and I love them all and so Ian the husband who does something yes yeah Yeah, but he does something so like okay he's he cheated on her for a marriage and that's something that's so horrible but it's you know as I was writing because I love all my characters and I love him, I also had this moment where I was like, gosh, I almost want to write things from his point of view and explain why he did what he did and what does it mean. And I think for me, the way that Ian has come to me is he is a man who, you know, is very charming and people love him and he's the life of the party, but it can be really difficult if you're also insecure about certain parts of your identity. And for him, it was, you know, the way that he was doing at school and was he as smart as Ellie and was he as, you know, book smart as the people around him. And so I always, I I had the same gut reaction was like, I wanted to know, you know, more about him and have that come out. But ultimately, it's a story about Ellie. So. No, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Are you working on anything new now? Yes, I am working on hopefully my second book. <laughs> um, I'm hoping it'll, you know, it'll have like, it's so early. So it's always kind of, of difficult to know. And I know I've heard some writers say, sometimes I feel like I'm writing the same book over and over. And as I'm working my second book, I definitely 
understand that because even though it's not the same characters and it's not a sequel or anything like that, I'm realizing as I'm writing, wow, so many of these same themes like, you know, marriage and monogamy and the relationship you have with your parents and complicated friendships, all of that is kind of coming to a head again in this second book with completely different characters. And so it's been a really exciting time and I'm in the middle and it's always hard to tell. So I want to say it's going to be a second book, but who knows? I hope so. And when, like speaking of the writing itself, so you wrote this as a lawyer, this book, You Can't Stay Here Forever. Now you're writing with a nine-month-old at home. Like, where are you finding the time? When do you fit it in? That is a great... So when I was writing as a lawyer, um, a lot of it, you know, I was able... I was lucky enough to take a, a few months off to try to get this out. But then, of course, books take many years. So I had like this very rough draft. And then as a lawyer, I was waking up at dawn. I was an eviction defense attorney. So I was waking up at dawn and working on it. And so I was tired all the time. But of course, then you have a baby and you realize now I really know what it's like to be tired <laughs> in a way that I, I never was before. And so I would say that I still find that waking up early and writing kind of before dawn is is really, really helpful for me. It's been much easier as she's been getting older Actually, because in the beginning, it was so hard. You you know, I had to be with her. Um, you know, it was really hard to leave her side. Um, yeah. But this is easier to find two or three hours to yourself and being able to um, to write this. So I would say there's no easy answer. It's really, really hard. And God, I will tell you, after having a baby, I feel like I have never thanked my mom enough to go back to mother-daughter relationships. I was like, man, oh, man. I got to thank my mom more because now I know how hard it is to both work and have a baby. That's insane. It's yes. really, you know, I was thinking, you know, when I had my twins, this is now like 16 years ago, I spent that first summer, like literally living at my mom's house with the, with the babies. And I was driving around, I'm here in Los Angeles now. I have a bookstore here. And so yeah. I've been spending time here and I was driving around yesterday and I was thinking, wow, I wonder what it would have been like if I had had my twins out here and with no family around, except, I mean, my brother's out here, but, yeah. you know, without her, her there. Anyway, it made me want to like call her and say thank you. Oh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I was I was very lucky. My, my, my mom and dad live in Chicago, but they came like the two days after I gave birth and my mom stayed here for a few weeks. And it was the greatest thing. Exactly. Like you really, I mean, because you also need help. I mean, it's, yeah. it's helping the baby, but also just your yeah, own yeah. self and yeah. your recovery and, and getting to rest and sleep and everything. So I was really lucky that my mom was able to come here for a few weeks. And now I'm like always begging her to move out to California. I'm in, I'm in Northern California and she's still in Chicago. And so I'm still like, please move out here because uh, I know it's like, I want to see her more, but then it's also the reasons of like, oh my God, when she's around, it is, it is so much help to have. Yeah. To have your mother around. Yeah. You wrote, you had some conflicting feelings in this book about San Francisco. How do you feel yes. about it? <laughs> you know, it's hard. I came, I moved out here from Chicago, not to San Francisco, but I moved out here for a law school in Northern California in 2011. And now, you know, it has changed so much with tech. And for people who are even, you know, like I'm still a transplant for people who have been here longer. I mean, that, that rings even more true. And so I think that there's so many wonderful things about San Francisco and I love the city. You know, I, I, I will, I, you know, I am like, will die on that hill. I love San Francisco city. I think it's one of the best cities in the world, but as the book talks about, it has changed so much 
and with tech. And I think a lot of what I used to do as an eviction defense attorney with um, housing and has been, you know, a, a major issue for San Francisco. And so I still love it. I think it's like one of the greatest cities. I love California. I don't think I'm ever moving back to Chicago. I'm too used to the weather now. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I've gotten soft. I can't, I can't go back to the winters. <laughs> But I think it is a, a a really interesting place to set your book and to talk about the themes of you know class and privilege and power. I mean, it is it is both in San Francisco and at Hotel Ducap. I would say yeah. yes, mm-hmm. both places that it would be lovely to visit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we do these Zibby retreats sometimes, or retreats from Zippy Media. And now I'm thinking we should try to do one at Hotel Ducap. How amazing would that be if we got I mean, that would be amazing. I, I can't even imagine. So I mean, that sounds What if we tried like to perfect. do like a really small thing like next summer or something where it's like even just like 10 or 20 people and we market it and you go and maybe like another author who has a book in France or... Oh my God, that would be amazing. And it's also, I'm, I'm sure you already know this, but it's like, it has such a storied history with writers because F. Scott Fitzgerald went there and Tender is the Night is, the, I think, based off of it. I think Hemingway maybe also, I could be wrong on that, maybe also went, but it is it has been around in, you know, kind of just the writing world for such a long time. It's so expensive though. We would have to yes. find maybe promotion something. Yeah, exactly. Maybe That's just true. let us do it. Yeah. I don't you know. Can ask Hotel Ducat, please. I'm, let us yeah. Know. I'm, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, listen, that would be a dream come true. And I can't even imagine. I mean, it is, it is such a gorgeous, a, a beautiful place and, and the service and everyone was just fantastic and unbelievably nice there too. Maybe there's some way. Maybe yes. Interested in in U.S. book lovers or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh, that is a great question. Gosh, you know, I have seen so much. I will say that if you really want to do it, you have to learn how to deal with rejection. It is like my number one of it because it is the one universal constant thing that will happen. And no matter where you are in your career, you're going to get rejection. And it is so difficult. And I wish, I wish I could say, and this is how you deal with it. And this is the step. And then you'll be totally fine. But it, it really is such a journey. And it's so different for so many people. But I would say, yes, learning how to deal with rejection. And then I would say, you know, it takes so much grit. It, it's, it's so difficult and it's so much endurance. And, you know, if, if that's something you want to do, I mean, gosh, we are like, all rooting for you because we all need more writers. I think especially female writers is something that we all need and to read more new perspectives and diverse perspectives, I think is great. But yes, learning to deal with rejection. And if you know how, please tell me because that's something I also am like learning on this journey. I'm all about like, you know, dousing myself with (laughs) in like vats of chocolate covered almonds and oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, lots yes. of tears. I don't know, tears and chocolate and I don't know. Yes. I mean, you have to vent, you got to feel the feelings, right? You're, I mean, yeah. writers, you got to feel the feelings. So yes, it is, it is very hard. It's endurance. And it's, there's also luck too, which is, which is always the hard, like hardest thing to hear. So yeah. much of it is also luck. I mean, luck. I know it's all yes. the people business and, yeah. you know, from one day to the next things. Winds shift and you never know. So yes, yes. 
All right. Amazing. That I left that on a very negative note. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's great. I mean, I will also say the one, uh, we'll add one more thing, which is I once heard a writer say this, and I think this is true, that nothing will feel as good as the writing because that's there's true. the business side of it and you can't control any of it, how it's received, how it's, you know, like all of the business part of it, the capitalist part of it, you can't, but you can control your writing. And so as like the, that will be the best part of your job is the writing, which I hope is like a freeing thing. Cause I, you know, on the good days, it's like the, it's like the best job ever when you have those good writing days. Yeah. Although those can be torture too. Yes, exactly. I mean, yes, it can also, anyway. then it's also the hard days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was so fun to talk to you. I hope we meet in person. I'm not even kidding about the retreat. I want to figure out if there's any way to do that. That would be oh my so God. I feel like if there's anyone can do it, it'd be you. Please, please. I'll give it me. a shot. I'll give yes. it a shot. <laughs> And I love Los Angeles and I got it. I've been meaning to go down ever since I've given birth. So I got to go down. Come anytime and we'll do yeah. an event for your book. Yeah. Do you have a, is there a paperback coming out or what? Yes, there is a paperback coming out. I'm not sure. I was just emailing with my agent. I'm not sure exactly when, but it is coming out. So Thank come you. do an event for the paperback. Yeah, that would be perfect. I love, I love LA. I actually lived there for a year. Oh, okay. I've, yeah. I lived in on the East side. I know there's such a whole thing. I don't know enough about LA, but I know people get very, you know, I'm on the strong West opinions. Side of LA, East side of New York. I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks so much. And this is yes. really fun. Thank you. All bye. right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.